The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. I'm joined by the Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris, who this week has announced significant changes, what he describes as a transformation in higher education courses uh, for people with an intellectual disability. Morning, Minister. Good morning, Anton. You might give us a breakdown of what the shift is in uh, third level access for people with a disability. Yeah, look, I met a I met a mum when I first took up this job, a mum of a Down syndrome adult child. And she said to me, she said, Simon, not only have I not watched my son progress after school like many parents, I've had to actively watch them regress in front of my eyes because of the cliff edge that they faced. Now we have, and this is not a political point, it goes back a generation, but we have made incredible progress as a country when it comes to primary education, secondary education, even preschool education. There's more to do, but we've made a lot of progress. But far too many people with an intellectual disability face face a cliff edge in terms of what do I do after school? And there are mums and dads, and I know them, and I'm sure you know some too, there are mums and dads who lie awake at night in this country looking at the dimples on the ceiling wondering what will happen to my son or daughter as they grow up and there have been incredible examples of good practice Trinity Centre for People with Intellectual Disabilities for 20 years has provided educational courses for people with an intellectual disability there's other good examples around the country too but they have been the exception rather than the norm Um, and I have been absolutely determined that we're going to embeds the good practice. So I managed to get hold of a pot of funding, about 10 million euro. We went out to the universities. What can you do in this space? Amazing projects came back, all assessed by an independent panel, all co-designed by people with intellectual disabilities, uh, approved by the National Disability And now, to what extent, as laudable as this might sure. be, to what extent are you merely postponing the cliff edge by three to four years? Because it is one thing to have them emerge from secondary education and not be able to get into third. It is another to have them leave tertiary education and not be able to transition on to employment or anything else. Now, great question. Well, you'll understand as an education minister, firstly, I believe the value of education in and of itself and the value of that college experience the value in terms of continuing to learn, develop and grow for another number of years is in and of itself beneficial. But you're entirely right. And I said this at the launch this week. Most of the programmes now have a work placement element. Um, And if you look at Trinity and take that as the example, they have partnered with companies like EY and nearly everybody who goes through the programme goes out into employment. So a lot of... Into permanent employment or into placement? into permanent, and let me be clear, into permanent real employment, into a paid job. Because what people have said to me with disabilities, what their families have said to me, what their advocacy groups is, this can't be tokenism, this can't be ticking a box where providing some form of education course or some form of job. This is real employment and real jobs. Every course that we're launching this week is on the National Framework for Qualifications. It's the same qualification you or I'd get uh, if you went to university uh, today as well. And and you're absolutely right. As we roll out these programmes now, a key element, and you'll see it in some of the detail we published, a key element is linking up with businesses. So saying that Munster Technological University in Tralee can now roll out these courses from September for people with intellectual disabilities. What can the business community in Tralee and in the Kerry region uh, do to provide those employment? What, if any, supports will be available to the business community? Because not wishing to be disparaging, employers who may have a desire to employ those with an intellectual disability may discover that it requires a greater level of support or engagement on their part than somebody who doesn't have such an intellectual disability. Will that be recognised in any way by the government? So those supports are recognised through through the departments that aren't mine uh, and there are a number of supports and initiatives to help people uh, make their workplace uh, more inclusive but what we are doing from from my end is we've provided flexibility within the funding to provide supports to the student who can then become the employee so supports like personal assistant hours use of assistive technology um, and the likes as well but I tell you I, I'm a minister now for quite a few years I've stood at a podium 
on thousands of occasions. I've never been in a room with more emotion um, because this really matters to people. It's never going to make the front page of a newspaper. It's never going to dominate the news, and that's fine. But this is really about a group of people, if we're being really honest, who have all too often been hidden after school in society, in society. Not always, and there's exceptional examples and amazing people, but all too often hidden. And what we are doing today together with incredible universities is basically saying no more. Um, we're, we're like when I was Minister for Health, every single year we'd have a conversation about the healthcare needs of people when they leave school with a disability. Lots to do in that space, lots more to do in that space. I was never asked as an education minister about the education needs, the skills needs, the talent needs. And why is that 15, 16, 17, 18 year old being treated any differently in Irish society? But we've got to be honest, they have been. Um, they have been. And this is not the, certainly not the be all and end all, but it is, I think, an important step towards saying that's going to change. There's much that I want to talk to you about. Uh, this is going to be something that's going to land right in your lap fairly soon because you're a director of elections, of course, for uh, Fine Gael facing into the uh, next election, trying to get your point across. First question, when do you want the election to be if you had the choice? <laughs> um, so I don't have the choice is the first thing. Um, if. There's, there's, not, there's, not actually, there's not actually that many windows when there can be a general election. I often think this is... Well, there's pre or post budget. Do you wait until the budget is gone and do a 70s style Finafall giveaway? It's my personal... Uh, in, my, in my view, I'd like to see this government deliver another budget. Um, it will obviously be a matter for the Taoiseach fully respect his constitutional prerogative in relation to that. Do you think you'll get a bounce? It's... Um, I, I don't. I, I'm not even sure. It's I'm not even sure it's particularly about bounces. And and I mean, like to be truthful, after well, if after you want to get budget, people elected, it yeah. Is. But but well, come back to that in a sec. But I mean, what we've seen now in modern politics is there isn't often big bounces after budgets. Um, I think it's more about trying to be able to report progress to the to the electorate on some key issues. And if you look at housing. Um, which has been, let's be honest, the biggest societal challenge this country faces and the biggest political challenge the government has faced. If you look at housing, though, I now believe there's beginning to be encouraging signs in relation to some housing data. One would imagine if we can continue on that path, if we can continue to invest, that can only improve further. Um, I think there's interesting things going on in opinion polls at the moment. We all say we don't fixate on them. Politicians don't look at them. I certainly look at opinion polls. Uh, there's many of them these days. They're quite frequent. Um, they're not always accurate predictors of elections. I think that's true. I think one of the interesting things is we have failed collectively as uh, pundits have failed to correctly call the outcome of general elections in Ireland for quite a while now. I think going into the last general election there was an assumption if I remember correctly that Fianna Fáil would win the election um, and that clearly didn't happen. The election was kind of fragmented between uh, three parties. I think in the previous election there was probably a view that Fine Gael would have done a bit better and Fine Gael Labour could potentially return. That didn't happen. In the previous election to that there was Gilmore Gale. Do you remember this? A great respect for Eamon Gilmore but there was a temporary view where Gilmore for Taoiseach was a thing. That didn't happen. Well, so, we we didn't get the Gilmore Gale but we definitely got a Gilmore stiff breeze and in the yeah, same way true. we may not get a Sinn Féin majority government but we may still have a significant shift and all the mood music would suggest we have a significant shift to Sinn Féin which is going to be huge pressure to But you. it is very interesting isn't it that in a number of opinion polls now and again accepting opinion polls change there, there's nearly one a week now but we have seen in a number of opinion polls now a trend emerge uh, and that's not a party political point it is an objective statement of fact that the last three opinion polls published in Ireland by three different polling companies have all shown downward pressure on the Sinn Féin And they have still shown them to be one and a half times the size of your party in popularity terms uh, it, Nearly uh, I think kind of 20 to 28 but 
But what they've also shown is that the combined support of the current government significantly outweighs that of the opposition. And what, I, I, of, what of the issues then? Because obviously housing is one, immigration is going to be a significant one. Can I ask you about one thing that is yet to come to fruition? What happens if we see a situation before the election where because of the demographics of immigrant, particularly Ukraine communities, we see children coming out of Ukrainian uh, refugee families taking primacy for positions in primary schools in local areas? Is that going to be a massive flashpoint? I don't think so, because I think we've actually dealt with this extraordinarily well as a country, as an education system. If you think if you think of the number of rural schools that were worried about losing a teacher um, and now have actually seen their teacher numbers stabilise. I mean, all of that, and I say this extremely respectfully, but all of that does sometimes feed into this ha- hashtag Ireland is full narrative. But let me, because, let, let me give the case in point. Because, because Let's say you have a small rural school where you sure. say there is a limit to, because we've squeezed those limits. We have increased class sizes to take in your y- Ukrainian refugees. Next year, a parent living in the community comes and is told the school is full. Simply full, can't take any more. And they look at the roster in the first year intake and they see that there are one, two, three, four Ukrainian refugees in seats that they perceive to have been their child's seat. That's going to be a huge problem, isn't it? I don't think it's going to arise, um, is, is the truth. I mean, there's huge pressure on school places in my constituency at the moment. It's absolutely nothing to do with people from Ukraine. It's due to a massive increase in, in housing and housing estates. And if you ask people in Greystones and Delgaty where I live, they know all about it. It's nothing to do with people in Ukraine. It's due to a failure of the Department of Education, in that case, to plan properly. So I, I think we just need to be very careful here that we don't blame uh, people coming to our country for other challenges that the country faces in the first instance. And I think secondly, what we actually do here is see and and put forward the benefit of migration. Um, And and this is something that politicians of the centre, of which I consider myself, can no longer take for granted, this idea that we will always win the argument of migration. We have to make it. Um, And it was was President Macron who actually made the point before that if centrist politicians don't actually start talking about migration, the benefits of migration, how we handle migration, it just leaves it to the extremes. And I think that does mean, I mean, what it will definitely mean, being honest, Anton, is for the next next general election, all political parties will want to have a major section in their manifesto on, on migration. I doubt that ever happened in Irish politics before. So yes, it's absolutely going to be a debating point. But I think we just need to be very careful here that we don't allow, that we don't, that we don't kind of, I think, lose the run of ourselves and where I think most people are in this country. I think most people are fair. They want Ireland to be humane, to be compassionate. They also want to know the rules are applied. They want to know that if anyone isn't following the rules, that they're dealt with firmly and it's that balanced approach. Come back to what you said. Has the Department of Education improved in its capacity to plan? We have an excellent Minister for Education doing a very good job, but I, I do think in certain parts of the country, including my own where I live in, in County Wicklow, I, I do think there has been... Um, I do I do think they've missed some of the demographics and it's great cause of great frustration. And what I mean by that is my understanding is that overall the demographic bulge is moving in Ireland. So, you know, the number of... That's uh, a fierce indictment from the Minister for Further Education to uh, another department, isn't it? Well, it's not a fierce indictment if you want to walk down the main street of Greystones, where I represent now for the last 13 years and talk to my constituents and my neighbours who are trying to get their kids into school places. Um, there has been a real challenge in relation to... And when you say this to Norma Foley, what does she say? Well, Minister Foley has managed to provide huge resources to the department to increase capital and in fairness to her and her department there's a massive catch up being done now to rectify these issues and there's been some encouraging developments this week the minister's doing an excellent job it seems odd though for 13 years of Fine Gael government that you're incapable of getting the Department of Education to function the Department of Education has functioned very well if you look at my it can't plan no I think it can what I'm making making the point though is that 
the demographic bulge doesn't apply equally in all parts of the country. And there are particular parts of this country. We saw this in the front of the Irish Times this week in Carl O'Brien's piece. There's particular parts of the country and they're generally in the greater Dublin area and the Dublin commuter belt where the population is growing and growing rapidly. And clearly something happened in terms of perhaps the, perhaps houses were delivered quicker in those areas and people expected them to be in certain government departments. But we need to absolutely, with huge haste now, get the school place situation right in counties like Wicklow and, and indeed others in the surrounding area. On the topic of school places, I want to talk to you a second about the CAO points system because there's, there has been um, changes in respect of that. Before we get to that, to some extent it may be seen as the sublime to the ridiculous, but for those in, in, in whom it impacts, it will drive them, I suspect, bananas. We got the news this week that on Garda Shia Corner, sworn members who were travelling across to join the New York uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade, as they have done since time immemorial, and marched behind the NYPD and all of the rest of it has been told no room at the inn lads you're not welcome you can't come it strikes me as I know it is not at the top of government agenda but surely somebody in cabinet can pick up a phone and say can we all just have a think here and go back to the way things used to be well, look, I think you're right. It is a tradition um, and, and, and certainly not, not only is it not at the top of the government agenda, it's not on the government agenda because, I mean, when I again meet constituents and people around the country, they can identify lots of places they want to see Gardaí and, and, and the New York parade rarely comes up in conversation. Ah, well, steady. Ever. Let's be no, clear. The, the Gardaí who are doing this are paying their own way. They pay no, no, for their own accommodation. I, they pay for their own flights and all they're being asked is, can we throw on our uniforms and march with the NYPD? And a lot of them have already bought their tickets to so do. And it seems because the parade organisers are having a sulk at the guards not doing what they were told last year that now they're told you can't come. But to take a step back, you were asking me where it is in the, on the government agenda and I'm making the point Garda conversations are in those places. The Gardaí who go abroad always go abroad and represent the country with distinction. I indeed have seen them at parades that I've represented the government at and I would of course like them to be at a position to attend as they attend in their own time. However, as the Gardaí will know and as anybody knows, you can only go to a parade if you're invited. I mean, this is something that, you know, the organisers organise the parade. I think it is highly regrettable uh, that this situation uh, has arisen. If it can be resolved, it would be great to see it resolved. But, but it's not uh, government problem. But it's not, it's not up a phone. Well, certainly, certainly I'm not aware of that. I mean, the, the reality is it's up to the organisers of the parade to decide who they want at the parade. But I would hope they'd reconsider. There's a very proud tradition of members of Angarda Shia marching with great pride and great camaraderie and solidarity uh, with the members of NYPD and other uh, police forces across the world. And that, you know, there's been huge cooperation uh, between our Garda police force and indeed uh, police force in the United States and others on lots of issues. Crime is now an international issue in many ways. And that camaraderie and friendship runs deep. And of course, if it can be... Uh, facilitator addressed I'd like to see it but it certainly isn't as I say a government priority Well let's go back to your own personal priorities CAO points reform consists of what? It consists of recognising that if you go into a school and there's two let's take two young students sitting side by side in, in a class and both want to be nurses. One does well at rote learning and gets the points but the other mightn't be as good at rote learning but might make a better nurse. Uh, up until relatively recently we've been losing that student often to the UK therefore often to the NHS. It is not right that we define a person's ability based on points. Now you might say to me, well, what, what, what else do you define it on? And I, I'll, get, I'll get to that in a second, but my, my ultimate answer is you have to have multiple pathways. And up until now, the rigidity with which we decide who goes to third level has been about points, points, points. It has to be about passion over points. So the point system works. It works well for some people. It doesn't work well for other people. There has to be, in my view, parallel pathways. Last year, as in this year, this college year, September, we started 
for the first time providing 23 degree courses outside the CAO points. You get assessed generally based on interview. Um, you start in further education. Uh, you complete in higher education. It's seamless transition. So it's not a lotto. If I do well in further, they might give me a place in university. It is one unified programme. It's gone very well. Um, it has meant and I've been up in the northwest of this country and met the nursing students who are doing that programme. Um, unbelievably successful. There's lots of other areas. We're now expanding to 40 uh, programmes from September. It means we could have a thousand students studying their third level degree outside the CAO point system um, in September and there's a range of courses a whole load Well let me devil's advocate a minute sure. so surely there is a requirement if you are to be an effective nurse that you understand and that you are able to rote learn pharmacological interactions so you know even if the doctor has ordered it I should warn them they can't give that drug with another drug that you have the capacity to again rote learn methodologies in terms of certain treatments certain um, wound responses whatever it might be there is a lot of rote learning in the gig. 100%. So why would you therefore discount it as a way of judging your capacity to learn those things that must be fundamental to you? Because I think this is the bit we don't get sometimes in discussion in Ireland. Your points have no recollection, have no correlation whatsoever with your ability to do the course. So points is simply demand and supply. We had this number of places, this many people applied there for the points to get in. The minimum entry requirements has nothing to do with the points. So the academic ability to do the course is decided by minimum entry requirements. You might need to have a science degree, a study science to the leaving search you might need to have honours maths, you might need to have whatever. That's that's the academic piece which you rightly relate to. So this is not about in any way, shape or form reducing, dumbing down, anything to do with that, the quality of the degree programme or the educational piece. It's recognising that the, the supply and demand point system isn't the only way. And of course, when you go on to a degree programme, you have to still pass all the exams. It's the same quality, it's the same regulator. Um, the degree the degree outside the CAO points is validated by the university and is the exact same qualification on the national framework. It's just recognising that the point system is too rigid to capture everyone. And we're outliers in relation to this. It's not the norm across the European Union that you have a point system. Before we wrap up, just on that, one of the things that has been pointed to as a big position, a big issue of concern, particularly with junior hospital doctors, but now with GPs, is the doctors getting qualified and medical staff generally, nurses including, getting qualified and then upping sticks to the States or to Australia or to Canada or wherever else to do a couple of years. Would you be a fan of the notion that there be, should be some kind of constraint on them where they are required to practice in Ireland for a number of years after qualification? Yes, but that's too blunt an answer. I mean, I, I do think there's real merit. I think there's a real merit in having a conversation about your linkage with the health service. And I think there has to be a quid, quid pro quo uh, uh, on our part in relation to that. I think, you know, if, if we're going to ask you to stay and work in the Irish health service for a period of time, we've got to make sure we're well supporting you through. But you would, you would support some kind of golden uh, handcuff. I, I certainly wouldn't describe it as that, but I would support the idea that if the Irish state decides to invest uh, in your in your education and perhaps if the Irish state, like for example, graduate entry medicine students in this country are paying an awful lot to be graduate entry medicine students. If they weren't, could there be an understanding in relation to it? It's a policy matter for the Minister for Health, but I think it merits, I think it does merit uh, some consideration. Now, of course, some medical mobility is a good thing. Doctors going abroad is a good thing, but let's be honest, we want the graduates that we're training here uh, to stay here. We've dramatically increased the number of medical healthcare places uh, in Ireland and we intend to continue that. We also intend to roll out all island uh, medicine education where we hope from September to be in a position where uh, doctors or medical students from this jurisdiction uh, can study in Northern Ireland as well. Minister Simon Harris, thank you very much. Thank you very much. The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.